And now it's time for the Wild Side News with your host, Sidney Wildsmith. The media is on fire with the release of the National Intelligence Estimate, the NIE, that reports that Al-Qaeda is continuing to plan attacks on U.S. soil, focusing on prominent political, economic, and infrastructure targets with the goal of producing mass casualties, visually dramatic destruction, significant economic aftershocks, and fear among the U.S. population. The group is proficient with conventional small arms and improvised explosive devices. Today, I'm going to alert you to an equally dangerous cell of terrorists willfully accomplishing the same ends, operating in our communities and carrying out their sinister destruction of our homelands, our people, and our way of life, and yet somehow managing to conduct their business while our leaders go on with business as usual. It's all coming up when your Voice of the Earth continues here on the Wild Side News. Welcome back to the Wild Side News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. It's amazing how a few weeks can make such a big difference these days. Public opinion changes dramatically from week to week. And when it comes to environmental issues, the nature of the news is changing just as fast as any other sector. For example, I'm now being bombarded with stories of massive investments in solar and wind. Carbon cap and trade is now a given. Global warming is now a certifiable threat. Energy independence, which a few years ago was ignored, now finds its way into discussions of all sorts. It's pretty much business as usual, except I've come across a story that isn't getting enough play. Now, the National Intelligence Estimate warns us that Al-Qaeda is regrouping in the U.S. and focusing their attention on hitting us again. We all know that if we wake up one morning and hear that the terrorists have crafted bombs from ammonium nitrate, resulting in a series of massive explosions that have devastated our homeland, that people have been hurt and killed, that our environment has sustained irreparable damage, and that Americans are living in fear of further and ongoing attacks on our way of life, we would be outraged. Well, in part two of today's show... I'm going to shock and awe you with the news that these attacks are planned for tomorrow, targeting a whole region of America, that these terrorists are well-financed, have massive weapons of mass destruction, which they not only are planning to use on us, but have already used to destroy American communities. We're heading down to Sylvester, West Virginia, and we'll be talking with a victim of their relentless attacks on her and her community. She knows who they are, where they operate from, and amazingly, cannot get the U.S. government to do much about it. As a matter of fact, the current government is not only sanctioning these attacks on American citizens, 
It's clearing the way to have these terrorist attacks continue unabated. As an American citizen, as a patriot, I call on you to come to the aid of our fellow Americans who are suffering a terror unrivaled in the history of this nation. This is no joke. If we don't act against the new eco-terrorists, the wanton destruction of our American way of life, and the literal lives of our citizenry and our homeland will take place. This is a call to action to save the homeland and all that it stands for. Coming up, we talk with Pauline Canterbury and her call for help. Here's a question I have to ask. If you knew that a terrorist attack was about to take place, and you knew who the terrorists were and where they planned to attack, what would you do? And perhaps even more to the point, if you know that that attack is planned to take place tomorrow within a half mile of your house, and that the terrorists would be using massive amounts of ammonium nitrate, that powerful explosive used by American terrorist Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma bombing incident, and that it would take out miles of your landscape, destroying it forever, what would you do? And if you also knew that the terrorists planned to use chemical weapons that would contaminate your lands forever, and as a matter of fact, had hidden away secret reserves containing hundreds of billions of gallons of a toxic goo that, if unleashed, would take out whole communities within minutes, drowning everyone in its wake and destroying forever the land. Would you want someone to know about it? Now, this is not hypothetical. We're talking reality now. And if you knew that the terrorists planned to destroy hundreds of square miles of land in every direction from your home, literally blowing it up, completely destroying everything with bombs for as far as the eye could see, reducing your favorite hills into hellish rubble, then willfully filling up your favorite valleys with a massive rubble caused by the explosions for hundreds and hundreds of miles of valleys, turning your hills and valleys into one of the most uninhabitable places on earth that could never in our lifetimes be restored. Wouldn't you think hell had come in the form of this terror? And if the terrorists planned to take their chemical weapons, black goo, and pump it deep into your earth, so that your well and the wells of your neighbors became so toxic that when you turned on your garden hose it spurred out the black poison, and that they planned to continue to create this hell without end as part of their mission, what would you do? Wouldn't this be one of the most insidious terrorist plots ever uncovered? And wouldn't you expect that any real American who learned about your plight would do everything they could to protect you and your people and our land against these wretched terrorists? Wouldn't you expect that our Homeland Security Agency, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the media, our politicians, and every other American dedicated to defending the homeland would come to your defense? Sure you would. I would. Well, everything I've described is not only planned, it's happening. Literally today, American citizens in West Virginia, Tennessee, and Kentucky will beg for help as they watch their homelands blown to bits by massive ammonium nitrate bombs, taking down whole forests, once home to some of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. Today, people in Whitesville, Sylvester, and hundreds of other communities will hear the bombs go off, 
Watch as whole mountainsides are blown up, for as far as the eye can see. Choke on the rock dust and the coal dust that fills the air from over five hundred square miles of complete devastation. They must face the fact that their once serene lives in clean water and quiet communities are now in the midst of a massive terrorist attack on their land that has turned their water into black toxic sludge. They live in fear. That the numerous three to five billion gallon holding ponds created to hold the black sludge, composed of arsenic, mercury, lead, clay, and coal dust, could burst through the earthen dams created from the debris of the once proud mountains, running hell bent down the valleys and drowning everyone and everything in its wake, as it did in two thousand. When three hundred million gallons of this killing chemical flooded through the valleys. Of the Big Sandy River in Kentucky, this unbelievable attack on our fellow citizens and their communities is literally killing people, destroying the value of their homes, often passed down for generations. And as you will learn and hopefully see if you take the time to Google mountaintop removal, resulting in the most dramatic attack on Americans and our land in our history. And this attack is planned to continue, unabated, just as fast as the eco terrorists can bomb their way through the mountains of the Appalachians, until someone or something comes to the defense of our fellow Americans and our way of life. Never ever has such a wanton attack been launched on our soil, and we'd better wake up and understand that this is one of the faces of American energy independence. Because it's all being done in the name of national security, otherwise known as clean coal. It is important to read once again the verbatim assessment from the recently released National Intelligence Assessment and their warning about the massive terrorist threat to America. And I quote: We assess that Al Qaeda's homeland plotting is likely to continue to focus on prominent political. Economic and infrastructure targets, with the goal of producing mass casualties, visually dramatic destruction, significant economic aftershocks, and/or fear among the U.S. population. The group is proficient with conventional small arms and improvised explosive devices, and is innovative in creating new capabilities and overcoming security obstacles. The only difference between the NIE report and the story you are about to hear is that the NIE talks about a possible threat, while the people of Appalachia are under attack right now. As someone who totally loves the earth and the beauty of the earth and, and the diversity and the wonder,、uh, the the joyous nature of the creatures and the communities of animals and people. And how somehow we should all—we all have the opportunity to to live together. We certainly have done that for millions and millions of years. What's happening in portions of the United States, specifically West Virginia and Kentucky, right now, to me is incomprehensible. In the sense that good communities and good people、uh, who have lived there forever and made a livelihood and had their families and schools and churches and whole way of life are being literally Ripped 
down to bed, bare rock, bedrock. Their their landscapes, their vistas are being torn down and destroyed and turned into a living hell in the name of getting some coal. And, of course, it's called mountaintop removal. Now I want to welcome to the Wild Side News Pauline Canterbury from Sylvester, West Virginia. Pauline, welcome to the Wild Side News. Thank you. Glad to be with you today. Yes. You are in Sylvester. That's in West Virginia. Tell me what the nature of that landscape is. This if you look out your door and, and you drive in your car, what do you? What would you normally see? When I look out, I see a beautiful mountain. On both sides of me, I see a beautiful mountain. Mountains and valleys? Mountains and valleys. Mm-hmm. And, and trees? What, what are the dominant trees there? Are they deciduous or pine, or what are we looking at here? No, you don't have... Well, you have some of all of it. You have uh, oak, you have maple, you have uh, cedar... But you have just about just about any kind of tree you want to find. Uh huh. If you were to hop in your car, what would you what would you be driving through? I would be driving through the mountains. How far could you drive and stay in that domain? Forty miles in any direction. How long have you lived in in Sylvester, West Virginia? I've lived in Sylvester, West Virginia, twenty seven years. Mm-hmm. I lived in Whitesville up until that time. Well, I moved there when I was 10, which was in 1940. So you, you've grown up and, and seen some real changes in your community. Sylvester, Whitesville, what's the nature of those towns? How big are they? Uh, small, small in comparison. Whitesville has a population of about 500. So Sylvester has a population now of approximately 200. Those are small towns. Yes, they're small towns. You so, have to realize that uh, flatland is, uh, is sort of scarce in the mountains. Well, that's true. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have uh, major metropolitan areas right. in those areas. That's correct. But that that also adds to the the wonder. That adds to the beauty of it. It's that certain. makes you a part of the mountains. You are a part of the mountains. Let's go back a little bit in time and talk about growing up in those regions. Well, you know, when I grew up in these mountains, these mountains were my playground. These mountains have healed me when I was sick from the herbs that, that grow in the mountains. These mountains provided my activity to roam the mountains freely whenever I wanted to. They, the mountains are just a part of you. They cloak you. I mean, you know, you feel safe. You feel well, I feel safe in them. You witness all the seasons there. You go. You have snow and, yes, and spring and four, fall. We have four beautiful seasons out of the year. Yeah, I can imagine because I've lived in those those types of situations that one becomes extremely connected uh, in a in a really sacred and precious way with the living elements, the earth and its seasons and its place. Right. Well, talk also about the community and the families that live there, and how, how did people primarily make their living? In this area, the, the living is coal mining. Mm-hmm. It's coal mining, but it, up and until mountaintop removal came in, it was underground mining. My family was miners. My father was a miner. My husband was a miner. That's a tough life. Yes, it's a hard life. It's, it's, it's a hard life in a sense, but the people in the communities made the communities what they were. These are the best people in the world you will ever meet anywhere. Uh, I always feel safe with these people. These people are not only my my friends, they're, they're like family. They're always there when you need them. To me, to live where I live now has been as close to Camelot as you could ever be. And I can imagine as you drive throughout that region there, it's a, it's a similar type of camaraderie from town to town. Right, from town to town you have the same, you have the same thing. So you really had a sense of community as you, as you thought out with your soul and your spirit. You probably felt a, a sense of security and and a connection was something very important. Definitely. Well, then things began to change. And uh, I'm going to say that again. Yeah. Give us a little history on, on how these changes began to happen, and what did you start to notice? 
the removal of the mountain started in the 70s, which at that time they called it strip mining. And it wasn't taken off a whole mountain. It was only taken off the contour around the mountain that they were removing at that time. And it was such a small scale on it that, you know, you really didn't pay that much attention to it. But as it went into the mountaintop removal mining where they used the, the, the big drag lines, you know, to go after the mountains, I mean, you begin to watch it grow, and then we begin to think, you know, this is this is not going to be good. This this is because the areas were becoming t- too big. When the permits first came out, they were for small, like you know, forty some acres, thirty some acres. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot of territory. Then we got to noticing that those were butting one against the other one, which was making it a huge area all in itself, uh, and bringing it to the point that we have now. We have a Spaces now where you can look for twenty five miles and you see nothing but barren, barren mountains that are, are that are that are stripped down to just the bare rocks. That has to be a, a, a visual hell. Oh, it is. It's devastating. It's really devastating. Then the then the um, the damages that it's causing because of what they're you know with the valley fields and filling up your streams, uh, you know, and the econo life at the, the, the head of it and how it feeds what's down below it. It's just harmongous. It's harmongous what's taking place. It's so far out of proportion that, uh, and, and, and they'll tell you, well, it's just a small part of West Virginia. It might be a small part of West Virginia, but it's all in the same part of West Virginia. It, it's in the same area, you know, that all of this is taking place. Well, you know, a small part of West Virginia translates as my backyard and my community to the people who live in the midst of it. We don't have to worry about anything as long as it's not bothering us, but boy, when it bothers us, you know. It's, it's different. It's different. It's totally different. Oh. Let's talk a little bit about the process of, of mountaintop removal. What are, you, what are your communities having to witness? And Well, uh, you know, with, coming with the mountaintop removal mining is entirely indifferent, uh, a different I don't call it mining. It's not mining. It's excavating. They're not mining the coal now. They're excavating it from the tops of the mountains. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's bringing pollution because now you have the rock dust in the air because when it, when it blows off the top of the mountain, there you have the rock dust, and then you have the coal dust. Both of them are uh, ingredients in it that, will, that are uh, an endangerment to your health. And uh, it's out in the atmosphere now. It's not. It's not underground like it used to be. And you know the miners all chose to be miners, and they knew what they were facing when they went underground. But so many people now are being exposed to these elements down that are in the air that were in the mines before, and don't choose to be you know exposed to them. And uh, I think in years to come, it's going to have a terrible comeback. Well, talk about some of the miners. I can imagine there was a transition period where miners went, thought it was kind of probably a, a good thing to move from underground to, to surface mining. But um, at this point, uh, is the community kind of turning on, on this concept, well, as the mining community most itself? Of them do not, the most of the people in West Virginia do not agree with this type of mining. But the thing of it is, it is providing jobs, and, and that's, that's a big factor in itself is the jobs. It, it might be bringing economy to some places, but it's not bringing economy where the coal's coming from. It brings us no economy at all. Well, now here's a question because I ran across a similar type of difficulty when I I was I was building a house and and an oil company decided to look for oil by my house, and I was concerned because of if if they succeeded in getting their oil, the my property value would be ruined. 
Because right. who, who would want to buy a house next to a, an oil pump jack uh, in uh, in New Mexico? Um, I'm just curious to what degree you think that your property values are being... Uh, well, my property right now has lost 90% of its value. Well, now, do you have any recourse because of that? I mean, when I, when I, for example, had to confront this thing about the, the oil company owned the subsurface rights and I owned the surface rights. Mm-hmm. There was also gold in that, in those hills. Uh, and if I was digging, uh, for my, my foundation on my house and I came across a nugget of gold, that would be theirs. And I'd have to give it to them or I'd have to pay them for it. That was their gold. But my gold was what, what was on top, which was the, the, the vistas and the quiet. And they, felt that they could come in and take away my gold and not reimburse me for it. And personally, I think that's the legal basis for a lot of the challenge here is that they have, they're taking away your gold. They're literally economically impacting Well, your, they're taking away my life. Well, a lot of people don't care about that. Well, then move. However, they're well, impacting... I do that all the time. Yeah. They're impacting the value of your house. You have almost no power to fight them legally, and I'm sure you're, you're trying that dramatically, but you're not... You're not being that effective I'm at this point. Not getting anywhere with it, right? So I've always felt that the one of the ways that you can do it is through the courts, in terms of the fact that you have lost value, money, and you have a right to to uh, be compensated for that loss. And that is what happens in those areas, right? Be- and I'm finding too that they can buy a lot of people off. Well, there you go. So it's, there, there you come again to money. Yeah. Let, now I want to give have the listeners get a sense of what it's like in these communities. If you leave your community now, what do you drive into? Well, I drive into to mountains that are not there anymore. Oh, I see barren land. It's devastating. It could not take a bomb and do any more to it. Mm-hmm. Plus, in the process of uh, removing 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, up to 800 feet of mountaintop to get to that layer of coal, they also have to push all that debris off, and where does that go? It goes into a valley on top of a stream. Not only has it destroyed the mountains, but it is destroying the valley streams and mm. the water quality and the areas as well. Mm. In the processing of this coal, too, is they have to wash it and clean it. It's called the processing, and it goes through a stoker plant. Okay. from that is being piped back into these mountains and placed between these mountains. So not only do we have the coal dust, but we also have the contamination of the slurry that comes from this coal. And there are 60 chemicals used in the in the process of cleaning this coal. And that is also piped back into, into now, with the slurry impoundments. Now, how, how big, for example, would a slurry impoundment okay, be? Okay, we have one. I have one that's about seven and a half miles from me. That if something would happen and it would erupt, I have 15 minutes to get out. Mm-hmm. We have no escape routes here because the valley goes from one end of it to the other one with no escape routes. My only route is to head to the mountains. And uh, this, in, this one particular impoundment holds right now se- over 7 billion gallons of black slurry. I have another one that's over the mountain beyond me. Just I'm looking at the mountain now out my dinette window, and it has now in it over 2 billion gallons of black slurry. I have a third one that is approximately 10 miles from where I live, and maybe I would have 20 to 25 minutes to to escape from it. They are all high-risk impoundments, which means that if one of them would erupt, it would cause death. And a, and totally devastate an area. Uh, well, it would yeah. totally demolish the valley. Mm-hmm. It would be gone completely. Mm-hmm. Because after one of those goes through, because there's been two breakages up to this point, 
one in Buffalo Creek and one in, in Martin County, Kentucky, and it just demolishes the area. How recently did those uh, uh, ruptures happen? The one in Buffalo Creek was in 1972, and the one in Buffalo Creek was in 2000. Take into consideration that these dams that they're put behind are earthen dams. So rains are a big concern for you. Rains are a very big concern, especially now with no mountains, because, you know, when it rains, trees hold water. So, you know, the trees that were on these mountains were our protection. It's our protection from the rain that come off of them. Now we don't have that protection anymore. When it rains, it comes straight down. The valley fields they put in are peaked valley fields, and the water runs off exclusively when it rains. To get a two-and-a-half-inch rain is devastating. To get a four-inch rain is going to be total disaster. We had one in 2001. We lost four people in that one and uh, that didn't make it out of it. Now, from that period to this period, so many more of our mountains are gone. I'm, t- I'm not talking about feet and all. I'm talking about acres of, of the mountains that are gone. If we get another four-inch rain, which we're due one, you know, compared to like we've had them in the past, it's going to be total devastation. It's terrible to need rain on your dry parched land and then dread for it to come. What is now happening to the to the sense of life for you and, and your family and, and your community there? Well, it's a life of stress. I mean, it's a life of, you know, uh, but with me, it's, it's, it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle to try to stop it, to try to do what I can about it, and, you know, to, to try to get them to control it, but... You know, you run into so many barriers. Everywhere you turn, you run into a barrier because this state has got herself so uh, entwined with the coal corporates that they can't function without the coal corporates' money. So what they're doing, or what I feel like they're doing to me, is they're selling me out. They're ignoring me for the rest of the state or for the rest of the people and also for energy for the rest of the country. I am being sold out in order for the rest of the people to have their pleasures in life, which comes with having an abundance of electricity. Talk a little bit about about the struggle that, that uh, these communities are going through to try. I mean, what, what are your efforts? How are you trying uh, to, to stop this? And I don't think you're going to succeed very effectively no. anytime soon. No. Well, I tell you, I could talk to you from now on about things that we've done to try to save our community here in Sylvester. Well, give us, it's, it's give so us so far and wide, and I'm, you know, I'm, I have what I have a friend that works with me uh, for the for the safety and the and the well being of the town of Sylvester, and which is only just one spot in this valley. And I know and realize that I'm not old enough. I mean, I'm too old now to take on the whole world, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, there is, modern, there is modern technology that if they would use some of it, it's expensive and they don't want to put out the money for it because this is a game of we're going to get in here, we're going to get this coal, we're going to get it out of here as cheap as we can, we're going to run over top of everybody we run into. And, I mean, you know, they don't mean nothing, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm going to move on out of here. I'm just curious how this makes you feel uh, at this point in your feel, life. This makes me feel furious. Because my raising in these mountains was that I'm supposed to not only care for myself, but also to care for my fellow man. I mean, my friends, my neighbors, I mean, you know, if they have stress, then I have stress with them. I mean, I care for them. I care for what happens to them, too. But I have a group of people in here now 
that doesn't give a damn whether I live or die. And, and in fact, I think they would like it better if I would die. Because, uh, you know, I'm in their way. And if I'm in their way, they, they don't want me around anymore. And, 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 and it makes me furious. But then it hurts me, too, to see what they're doing to a group of people that are the most wonderful people you would ever want to meet in this earth. And, you know, and I don't know which way to turn. Do you have a sense of being powerless in this situation? Yes, it, the, I, I'm powerless to get justice done. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm powerless to get somebody to see the right and the wrong of this. It's all boiled down to one thing. They only see one thing, and that's a dollar sign, or more electricity for somebody else. I mean, you know, we have such a pampered world today. If people have, you know, so much that they have to have electricity for that, you know, that they'll go to any extremes in order to get it. They can get this coal out of this these mountains a more way, a better way, a way that doesn't destroy this area, and then make the the uh, power plants come up with something to get rid of the carbon dioxide. Another way, I mean, it could be worked different. You're becoming a, a bit of an environmental advocate, possibly solar energy and wind and you know, other forms. The first forms. time somebody looked at me and called me an activist, I said, what did you call me? They said, you're an activist. I said, I'm not an activist. I just believe in right from wrong. And they said, well, what do you think an activist is? <laughs> That's a good definition. I, I like that. Someone who believes in right and wrong. That's, That's great. Right. And I believe in right. You know, I think, you know, I think my drive behind this has been, you know, my husband fought in World War II was captured and was a prisoner of war, fighting the very same thing that's happening to me here. And spent time as a prisoner. He was captured during the Battle of the Bulge. And, you know, I, I mean, I realize what he gives to this country. And then I think of what they turn around and are doing to the people. You know, it, 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 it makes me mad. But how is this happening in America? Why, why well, now? How can this happen in America? That's what, that's what I, I don't understand anymore. You have to wonder... Who, for, who the coal companies serve anymore? Well, you know, they don't fear anybody. They don't pay any attention to the law. They do not abide by the laws. Now, we, the, the, the group that is next door to us here, we've had them to court. We've won our court. We've won cases against them everywhere. But they're still doing the same thing. Yeah, well, unless you can, that, that is the thing, that they have unlimited funds to, to beat you in court. So they just go ahead and do what they want to do. And they do what they want to do, yeah. and then the, the rest of them let them get by with it. Yeah, well, as you say, <laughs> it's a process of get it out now before, you know, just get it. Get it out while the price is good on it. Well, the thing that, I, that concerns me, too, is the fact that it just seems to go on endlessly. Endlessly. I'm, yeah. Well, and and you know, and I and living in the position that I'm living in now, I see the. I mean, I, I I look at what's coming in the end of it, and it's not going to be pretty. What are they supposed to do with that land? Is there any effort? It's any? Gonna, well, you know, well, they come across with this. You know that we're going to reclaim it. You know, reclamation of it. We're going to make this out of it, and we're going to make that out of it. And they've already got more land cleared than they'll ever do anything with because. These mountains are on top of mountains, way back away from anything else. With no water, no roads, no nothing. You can't do nothing with it. Hmm. It would cost you a fortune to do with it. And all right, they're not, they won't put out money to get the cold out. What makes you think they're going to put out a fortune to put something up there? They're I not think, going I, to do it. I think they just do it so that they it's done. Right. You know. Right. It's done. You can't put it back. And there's nothing you can put back there that's going to bring any more economy into this state. Well, maybe just a great, great big endless ball field because they're they're literally flat well, top mountains. You can't mountains. even play ball on a rock pile. <laughs>
once this is all done, what's going to be left of these communities? Because the coal, it upsets me uh, in ways that I can't say right now, that there are people who have a lot more resources, otherwise known as money and power, who think they can come in and mess with our communities like this. Oh, and, when they and, come in now, they do not They do not come Now, it used to be in the coal mining. When the coal corpus come in and, and open up a mine, they move their people in, and uh, everybody, they, they moved in with the people. They become a part of the people. They don't do that anymore because they know when they come in what they're going to do. Do you know who your adversaries are? or Do they, do they have names? They have names, but names only. Yeah. I have fought this company over here 10 years. What, can you say what company it is? Oh, sure. Massey what? Energy out of Richmond, Virginia. Massey Energy? Massey Energy out of Richmond, Virginia. Has any of their corporate officials ever met with you or talked no. with you? No. The only thing is, for about two and a half years, we got their company people here. They're like their president and vice president and some of their engineers and et cetera met with liaison panel meetings with us because our big problem here is coal dust from a, from a preparation plant, which, uh, you know, processes the coal, sends the slurry on the hill and the coal dust up over the community. Hmm. And uh, they will tell you nothing. They can't tell you nothing because they're not allowed to tell you nothing. It was the most useless two and a half years I spent in my life, those meetings. But the officials, the CEO of this company, I have begged and pleaded with him to meet with us. He's never done it in 10 years. What's his name? Don Blankenship. Don Blankenship? Mm-hmm. Where is he from? He grew up in Mingo County, West Virginia. And I don't know how he got such a... Which I don't know how he came to become the CEO of Massey Energy. But anyway, he did. And he's the most ruthless, uncaring, unconsiderate man I've ever heard tell of in my life. When you look at him, he looks like a zombie talking. If you, if you met him, what would you say to him? Oh, I've met, I met him one time because I, I went to the courthouse in Madison when he was on a trial over there and, and, and confronted him when he came out. Oh, I'm going to come to see you in two weeks. And that's been about five years ago. haven't seen him yet. At some point, I hope to come out there. I'd like to really look into this a well, lot. you would be shocked out of your boots. Well, I need to be shocked out of my, my boots because I'd like to share that with the rest of the country that doesn't seem to in pay fact, much attention had, to this. In fact, we had a, one of the Western singers, Tatha Matei, here this past week on on Tuesday, in fact, a week ago today, mm-hmm. and took her to the mountains. There's only one spot where we can show a mountaintop removal site, and that's because one guy and his uh, and family have helped out against them. He's down to 50 acres now, and and she left the mountain crying. Well, this is what's this is what's scary. I've seen the pictures, and of course, I'll have pictures posted on the website. But some of these uh, people who live on these mountaintops are surrounded. Right. Well, Larry Gibson is surrounded. By absolute devastation, devastation for as far as you can see. As far as the eye can see. And it's incomprehensible to me. That, the, that, thing, the thing of it is, you know, they've, they've, they've been very slick and very sly about it. Is the back mountains, you know, between, between the valleys, you know, they took them off first. But gradually it's coming closer to us. Right now they're within two miles of Sylvester. Well, I've heard that uh, when this started up, they'd kind of do the mountaintop removal in areas where if you're driving in your car, you wouldn't see it. Well, you don't. You, you, I, you can drive through here where I live at now, and you don't see that much of it unless you know what you're looking for and what your eyes is, is wanting. That's but a trick. You can see the tops of them now. The tops of them now, you can see it on them. But, I mean, when uh, before, would you have been able to see those mountaintops? Uh, I suppose they just got hidden in the valleys. 
If you drive, your roads typically follow the valley bottoms. Right. And so if you're down to the valley bottom, you look up, you're seeing... You're a, in the valley bottom on a curvy road. But if you happen to drive off that road and hop up to the top, it's a whole different world, isn't it's it? It's a whole new world up uh, there. Well... And it's not pretty. How could people help you? Because I've seen it from the air, and I've also seen it from the mountaintop. How could people help you? What could they do? What What can they do? Well, mainly we're just trying to get the word out to everybody. One thing you can do is have your representatives vote for the Clean Water Act, the Clean Water Protection Act in Washington that we're trying to get passed up there because it will stop the valley fields. If we can stop the valley fields, that will stop a lot of the mountaintop removal because they don't have anywhere to put that uh, debris that they shoot off the top of that mountain. Good point. That's that's a, a number one defense. Right, because then they would have to carry it away, and where would they carry it to? And the expense of carrying it away would be harmonious, and they're not going to do that. We have got to stop the valley fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you know when that legislation is coming up? Well, it should come up again this, this fall. Mm-hmm. We've been working now for, I guess it's been about three years, uh, a lobbying in Washington, uh, and, and going on PowerPoint presentation into all of the states that we can we can get to and showing our PowerPoint presentation, what it's doing here, what it's doing there, what it's doing to the people. And we have uh, got people from those states to sign on to supporting the Clean Water Act. And I think now with the climate uh, uh, change, the ozone layer and all that, and all this that's coming up, I think it's going to help us in a sense, too, that maybe if we can get that stop, if we can get that passed, protection for the Clean, the clean Water Protection Act, I think that that will put a, a, a damper on it. And I think that's one reason they're pushing it us so hard now here with this mountaintop removal. I think they're beginning to know and realize that their time is going to be limited. Well, that's when they want to go in and get it as fast as oh, they yeah. can. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're, this is here. You pick up a paper now and it's loaded with permits. We've covered a, a lot of information here. <laughs> right as you say, it'd be f- you ran into a big mouth, didn't you? <laughs> well, I'm happy. I hope we can talk. We will talk again. Here's a question, too. Do you have a, a family? Kids yes. and grandchildren? Oh, yeah, I have five grandchildren. Yeah. I have a son and a daughter. Are they still in the community? No. They, did they leave? They left. They left because the, uh, they didn't want to go into the mining industry, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I really didn't want them to because I, I think I saw this coming. Well, I think you know plenty of, of people who have kids. What, when kids are in the middle of all of this, what's the, what do they see? What do you they know, feel? You know, living here now, and when, when we have a new baby born here, I think, you know, this child's going to this child's going to start breathing coal dust right now. And, you know, my husband died with black lung, which is a, a mining disease. My father died with silicosis, which is caused by rock dust in the lungs. And I think, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, this child's going to breathe this all of its life. It's going to be a sick child. If you were to talk about the morality of this, what might you say in terms of what's happening to you? Where do you rank this? I really don't know. It's it, it's just it's just too big for words. To me, it's like warfare. It's like it's it, like it, it, it's warfare against the coal mining people. It, well, and, and, you know, it, we're you know the ones that are left here in the valleys now are the ones that mined this coal years ago. I mean, you know, we 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 settled here. This is our home here. This is where we. You know, you never do get rich being a coal miner. And and you know we had a hard they, coal miner even had a hard time getting up to where they were at with the union, and then it's like now you know even the union has forsaken the the old coal miners because the new mines are are, are doing mountaintop removal, you know in order for them to stay alive, 
And, uh, I mean, you know, I look at it and I think, you know, what what is the answer? And I, I haven't found any yet. God knows if I found one, I'd use it. It's it's actually called doing the right thing to our fellow our fellow beings, humans and 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 our land. It's it's doing the right thing. That's right. To me, when I look at the pictures, it's as if someone was taking bombs and just bombing the hell out of the, out of your mountains, which is well, actually that's in, well, that's it. They're using ammonia nitrate to do it with. Well, there you go. They are bombs. Sure. This is a ter- and you, not only not only do we have the rock dust to coat us, we've got the fumes from the ammonia nitrate. I mean, the, the explosions, you, you're, you're surrounded by explosions all the time, aren't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our roads are constantly traveled with coal trucks. We're, it's all around us. It's everywhere we look. No, well, it's a war zone. It's a war zone. It's an American war on, on the American people. I truly believe that. I, I, I'm willing to, to take a stand on that. This is, this is a, a war against you and your community, and it's immoral and it's wrong, and we should, we should rally to say stop this war against you because it, it it breaks my heart to hear and think about what you're what you're having to endure. It's just not fair. It's absolutely wrong. Well, I'm wrong. supposed to be retired and enjoying life, but I haven't found that point yet. Listen, thanks so much. We're talking with Pauline Canterbury, who's in Sylvester, West Virginia, and has a lot to share. I want to thank you, Pauline, and uh, uh, we'll we'll talk again. Well, thank you for being concerned. Okay, Pauline. Thanks. God bless you. Bye. It's not coal companies that are doing this to our fellow Americans and to our homeland. It is the people who run these coal companies who are on a par with any bin Laden or Zarqawi that attack our country. They are willfully destroying and even killing our people. They are bombing our homeland and turning it into rubble. They are using chemical warfare against our fellow citizens. They are generating fear among the U.S. population. They are using massive weapons of destruction, destroying our roads and waterways, water systems. They are creating unparalleled visual dramatic destruction and creating significant economic aftershocks. I have now made this information public, and I admonish the U.S. government to act on behalf of our people and our homeland to identify these new eco-terrorists and bring them to justice. To whatever degree there exists complicity with these new eco-terrorists against our people, our constitution, and our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by government officials, I condemn such of complicity in an eco-terrorist conspiracy to attack the U.S. homeland and its people. It is time that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people revives the power to identify, try, convict, and treat as traitors any of those who have forsaken their sworn oath to protect and to uphold the Constitution of these United States of America. God bless America. God bless the homeland. And God save our people. This is Sidney Wildsmith saying adios. Until we meet again next Thursday, or anytime on the archives, when your voice of the earth rings the clarion bell for truth, justice, and the American way here on the Wild Side News.